Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with them, turn with me in them to uh, two places in the New Testament. The Gospel according to John chapter 13, John chapter 13, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13 and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. title of this message is An Old New Way for a New Day. We're in a new, new building, but there's, there's something that the Lord wants us to do. In fact, if I understand him correctly, it's the most important thing he wants us to do. He said it's new. And though it is new, it's also old. We're going to talk about that today. An old new way for a new day. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. The Apostle Paul speaking to the members of the Corinthian church. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Ouch. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ouch. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood. I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. A bride getting ready for her wedding is told to get something old, something new, 
something borrowed, and something blue. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Now, I'm assuming, and I always do assume, getting ready for a wedding, that the something old and the something new are two separate items. There's something old, grandma's dress that she wore when she was married. There's something new, the new ring that he gave her for an engagement gift. Two separate things. But what if the something old and something new are one and the same? What if they're not separate things? What if they are one thing and that one thing is both old and new? Well, believe it or not, that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He tells us that we as Christians, if we are to be seen as Christians, if we are to be identified as followers of Christ, there is something that we need to be about that is both old and, he says, new. I love John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, and I also love the beautiful poetry that's found in 1 Corinthians 13. And one thing I like about these, these two chapters is, uh, these two passages of verses, is that they, they have some common denominators, uh, aside from the fact that they're both in a chapter 13. There are three other common denominators that are very important for us to, in order to understand exactly what both Jesus and Paul are saying. First of all, both Jesus and Paul were speaking to believers, to Christ followers, to, to people who are following Christ, Christians. Jesus, in John chapter 13, on Thursday evening, has just finished eating supper John tells us that after supper had ended, Jesus had gotten up and washed the disciples' feet. He'd be dead within 24 hours. He washed the disciples' feet, and then the Bible says that he got up and he begins to talk to them about this old, new thing. But he's talking to his followers. Paul, on the other hand, in writing the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, is talking to Christians, Christ followers, who are members of the church at Corinth. So they both are talking to believers in Christ. That's a common denominator. But a second common denominator between these two passages is this. Jesus was talking to believers who were arguing and fighting with each other, and so was Paul. Now, John doesn't tell us everything that the disciples were doing while they were sitting there eating with Jesus and he was washing their feet. John doesn't tell us everything. But if you go over into Luke's gospel, chapter 22, Luke tells us that, that, that right before Jesus washed the disciples' feet and right before he began talking to them about loving one another, the Bible says in Luke chapter 22 that the disciples were secretly arguing with each other. You know what they were arguing about? Who's the greatest? Isn't that wonderful? I'm number one. No, I'm number one. No, I'm number one. I believe it was the official founding of Baptist churches. They were fussing and fighting. Well, what about Paul? Paul's writing to Christian believers. Were they fussing and fighting? Hey, have you ever read 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 12? They were split every which way but Sunday. 
They were fighting over preachers. One group said they liked old Pastor Joe. And another group said, no, we like Pastor Dave. And another group said, no, we like Pastor Paul. And they started competing with, with each other as to which pastor they were following was the greatest. And they were divided. The Bible says they were divided over how to deal with immorality in the church. The Bible says that they were so divided that there was one family that was taking another family to court. Can you imagine that? Would that be a blessing to a church? Hello? Man, can you imagine that? You got one family and they got 50 other members of their family in the same church and they're, they're, they're a filing suit against another family and that family's got 40 members of their family in the same church and so they get to fighting each other. They're taking their problem to court. We don't even know what the problem was. They don't even remember what it was, but they're taking them to court. And then the whole rest of the church is there and, and they're watching this and observing it and they're just, oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? And this family over here wants everybody in the church to side with them and this family over here wants everybody in the church to side with them and the church decides, we're not going to side with everybody. And that makes both of those families mad. And so they all leave. 90 people leave. Oh boy. The Corinthians were fighting. They were fighting over spiritual gifts. There, there was one group that said, hey, uh, we speak in tongues. If you were as spiritual as we are, you would speak in tongues because we speak in tongues and we're spiritual. And the other group said, no, that's not true at all. And they were divided over that. So Common denominators, both Jesus and Paul were speaking to believers in Christ. Both Jesus and Paul were speaking to believers in Christ who were fussing and fighting with each other. And the third common denominator is both Jesus and Paul were trying to get over to their listeners the importance of love. They spoke about the importance of love. Love. Isn't that a great word, love? It's really a very confusing word. I find it to be confusing. We use it in so many ways. We use the same word in so many ways. You know, I say, I love my truck. And then I say, I love my wife, Amanda. See, I use the same word twice. But I will guarantee you, when I said I love my truck, I'm not talking about the same thing that I said I love my wife, Amanda. Now, I love my truck, but it's not Amanda. Or I might say, I love banana pudding. And brother, I love banana pudding. I love cold banana pudding, and I love hot banana pudding. I prefer hot banana pudding. I like it right off the stove, baby. But I like it cold, too. If I say I love banana pudding cold and I love banana pudding hot, I'm using the same word love, but I'm telling you they're not the same. They're not. I could say I love my kids, Zachary and Hillary, and I could say, I love Amanda's demon dog, Lucy, for her. So Lucy. <laughs> and I do love that dog. I love Lucy. I, I, know, I, I talk a lot about it, but I love Lucy. I, I love Lucy. On some days, I will go home for lunch, and I'll eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I love peanut butter. You know that. I love peanut butter. See, I'm using the word love again. I love peanut butter. And I will get jiffy peanut butter out to, put, to smear all over uh, my bread for the sandwich. And I look down at the edge of the cabinet and there's Lucy and she's looking up at me. And she's talking to me. Oh yes, she is. You know what she's saying? She's saying, peanut butter? And I look down and say, what do you want? She looks peanut butter? And so I'll dip my finger in the container of jiff peanut butter. And I will kneel down and I will hold my finger down there. And that dog, that demon dog, will lick every dab of that peanut butter off of my index finger. And when she's through, she looks up. And you know what she says to me? You know what she says? More peanut butter? 
Yeah, she loves peanut butter. And I, I, I love Lucy, but it's not the same as me loving my kids. Now, I love chicken manure. I'm serious, I really do. For those of you who, who know me, you know that I was raised uh, on a poultry farm. My dad, in addition to working at General Motors for over 30 years, he grew chickens in a chicken house. And my brother and I were forced, and I mean forced, to go down in that chicken house. And we were working like slave labor every day in that chicken house. I hated chickens when I was little. But looking back, I love them because I benefited so much from raising those chickens. But I smelled chickens and chicken houses and chicken manure. And, and, and now, now, there's so few people raise chickens that now you have to go way out in the country, sometimes in South Georgia or way up in North Georgia or over into Arkansas to find anybody who's raising chickens. And I'll be riding with somebody through the country and we'll pass by somewhere where there's some chicken houses and without even knowing where the chicken houses are, there's this aroma that comes through the air conditioner. Now you see, aromas are not supposed to come through these modern day air conditioners, but it comes through the air conditioners because chicken manure, the aroma of chicken manure goes through everything. And it comes, it comes through the air conditioner and I smell it and I go... And everybody else in the garden go, oh, my gosh, what, what in the world is that? That's awful. I said, it's wonderful. It smells like home to me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I really do. I love the smell of chicken manure. I know y'all not going to believe this, but uh, back uh, during December, before Christmas, Amanda and I were out in some mall stores, and uh, uh, I, I walked into this store that, sm- that sells uh, perfume, ladies' perfume and men's cologne. And I went in there because, in part because I was killing time, but the other part was there was a certain uh, perfume that Amanda likes, and I was looking for it to, uh, to get her for uh, Christmas. I didn't find it in that store, but um, you won't believe what I did find. I saw on that store counter a, a bottle of cologne, and there were two things about it that, that really made me stop and think. One of them, it was dark colored. Usually, usually cologne or perfume are light colored or clear colored. Is that right? Hello? I know not all of you wear cologne. <laughs> it was dark colored. And so I noticed that. But on the front of the bottle, here's what it said. I know you're not going to believe this. Here's what it said. It was in French. Eau de manure. Did you hear what I said? Oh, de manure. Now listen, I grew up on a poultry farm. I know what that meant. I took French in high school and in college. I knew what that meant. E-A-U-O means a liquid or a water-like substance. Liquid, de, of, manure. I know what manure is. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Who in the world would want a cologne that was made from chicken manure? I mean, I love chicken manure, but I don't want to smell like chicken manure. I've got church members who do not want their preacher to smell like chicken manure. I know that. But it just got the best of me. I'd never seen that in a, in a store before. And, well, you know how they, they uh, in these perfume and cologne stores, they'll let you try some, spray it on you. And I thought, well, I've got to see what this smells like. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to spray it on me. But I did want to see what it smelled like. So I picked it up, and the, and the top came off. And I just squirted the pump, not on me, but up in the air. And then I just ran my nose through it. (laughs) And listen, listen, to my surprise, that stuff smelled great. 
I couldn't believe it. It smelled great. And so I said, man, I've got to have some of this. I've got to have some. It wasn't the cologne I normally wear, but I had to have some of this. I turned around and looked on the back of it to see what the ingredients were, as if I didn't already know. On the back, and you know they give these scientific technical names when they put ingredients on stuff so that we, we can read it and we can say, oh, I know what it is, and yet never really know what it is. You know what I'm saying? And so I turn around, I look, and, and here's what it said. Here's what it said. Manufactured from excremental byproducts. Excremental byproducts. I know what that is. <laughs> I know what that is. This was an extract of chicken manure, and it was cologne, and it smelled great. And so I bought some. And so I, I brought it home. And uh, that was on a Tuesday night that we had been out. So on Wednesday morning, I get up. And the way I am, if I buy something new, I've got to use it right away. I told you that last week, right? Get new clothes, I, I got to wear them. So I had this new cologne. I just had to try it, especially because it was eau de manure. And so I get up and I take a shower and uh, I get out and I brush my teeth really good and I shave, I shave really good, except for my goatee, I shaved really good. And once I got all that done, I took that eau de manure and I sprayed it all over me, especially all over my face. I'm serious. So I go about my business and that's on Wednesday morning about, uh, it's about seven o'clock I'm taking that shower and I'm spraying this eau de manure all over me. And I, I come uh, that evening to prayer meeting, this is six o'clock on Wednesday. And at the end of prayer meeting, I'm coming out and there's some people out there getting ready to go into the choir room and they look at me and they say, you growing a beard? I said, no. Well, it sure looks like you are. I said, what are you talking about? I said, you're growing a beard. I said, what are you talking about? I said, just go look in the mirror. I run in the men's bathroom and I go in front of the mirror and folks, I am not, I am not kidding you. I look like Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty in front of that mirror. <laughs> now I knew that chicken manure will make grass grow. When I was growing, uh, when I, when I, when I was growing, when my dad was growing uh, chickens uh, at home, we'd take the chicken manure at the end of the bunch of chickens and we'd spread it all over my uncle's hay field and hay would grow. I heard a comedian one time who said that, that grass grows in chicken manure because it's trying to get to air. I believe that. <laughs> but what I didn't know was that if you spray extract of eau de manure on your face, if you're a man, and maybe if you're a woman too, by nightfall, you need to shave again. Saw a lady right over here look at her husband and say, do you reckon he's telling the truth about all that? <laughs> love manure. Jesus wants us to love each other. The words in, in John 13 and the words of the Apostle Paul teach us a number of things about love. First of all, teach us the basis of love. Jesus tells us that love is relevant for three main reasons. First of all, because Jesus is the one who commands us to love. This is not just your everyday Joe. This is not some preacher out there in the, in the middle of nowhere with a no name. This is Jesus saying, love one another. The basis of love is that Jesus is the one who commands us to love. And second, Jesus is the one who exemplifies it. Listen, I've had folks do a lot of things for me because they love me. I've done some things for people because I love them. But I've never had anybody but one person in all of history who loved me so, not, so much that he gave his life for me on Calvary's cross. Jesus exemplified love. And then the third 
basis for love is because we're to love because love is to be the marker of those who follow Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think that somewhere in the Bible it said, now listen, here's the real marker for those who want to love Jesus, that they never miss a Sunday at church. The one who memorizes the most scripture verses, that's the one who loves Jesus. Now, now, all that's good. The one who gives the most, all that's good. But Jesus said, here's, here's how you'll know, here's how they'll know if you follow me, if you love one another. Of course, the problem is some of us are easier to love than others are. But those that are not as easy to love are the ones that we most need to reach out to to show that we know Jesus. Second, Paul talks about the necessity of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first three verses, he tells us that it is possible to be so gifted as to speak multiple languages, fathom all mysteries, move mountains, and sacrifice our bodies for a cause. And yet, if we don't have love, none of that is worth doing. I love going out to eat at Frank's. Do y'all like going to Frank's? Raise your hand. How many of you have never been to Frank's? Raise your hand. You got to go. I mean, they didn't pay me to say that, but man, you got to go. Frank, the guy who owns the place, uh, his, his daughter's general manager there. Do y'all know her? Do y'all know who she is? Yeah. Now, she's dry. She's got a dry humor. But do you know she speaks four languages? I found that out one day. We we'd gone over there for a staff lunch, and while I was talking, I don't even know how it came up. As we were paying her bills, she's, I asked her something about language. She said, I can speak four languages. I said, really? I said, como esta? She said, muy bien. I said, whoa. That's Spanish. I said, well, como allez-vous, ça va? She said, très bien. Merci. Et vous? That's French. I said, Whoa. She can speak four different languages. Paul says that if you could speak every language known to man, plus you could speak in the language that angels speak in and yet not have love, you're nothing. If you know, if you have a gift of prophecy so that you know the answer to all the great mysteries of our world, all the deep questions that thinkers think about and not have love, it's nothing if you have a faith that can move mountains, that can conquer cancer, that can tear down every disease unimaginable and not have love, Paul says it's not worth having. And if you're willing to give your body for a cause that you believe in deeply and not have love, Paul says it's no good. Love is absolutely necessary. Second, third, he talks about the characteristics of love. And this is where I get some ouch moments here because I, as I go through Paul's list, I realize that I've disobeyed too many of them. Love is patient. Ouch. Love is kind. Now, I think I'm a kind person. Love is not boastful or self-centered. Love does not dishonor or disrespect another person. Love is not easily angered. Ouch, ouch. Love does not keep score. Do you ever find yourself keeping score? All right, you've done that to me one time. You've done that to me two times. You do it one more time. I'm keeping score. Paul says love does not keep score. Love applauds when right goes well. 
the characteristics of love. And then finally, Paul talks about the resilience of love. The word resilience means the, pers- the permanence, the perseverance of love. And it's amazing what he says in verses 7 through 13. He reminds us that true love is permanent. It never gives up. It never gives in to wrong. It, it always perseveres. Never stops loving. Never stops trusting. Never stops enduring. On the other hand, he lists some seemingly important things that will not last. Think about this. Prophecies, which means the proclamation of the word, according to Paul, will cease. Languages will be stilled. Knowledge will pass away, he says. Love even places, uh, uh, Paul even places love on a higher plane than faith, which is our belief system and hope, what we're, what we're headed toward. Both of which are high on most of our lists. Love. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Just act as though you do. As soon as we do this, he says, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love somebody, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. But if you do him a good turn, you will find yourself ultimately disliking him less. Love. How will people know that our church is a bona fide church? By building out here, this beautiful building. I love this building. See, I use the word love again. But that's not how they're going to know we're a church. They're going to know we're a church when out at McDonald's or the Chick-fil-A or Bradley's or Publix or Walmart or Dollar General or Family Dollar out at Flash Foods or down there at the Valero pumping in gas. They look at us and they say, these people actually love each other. They love other people. That's how they're going to know. Do you know what? We think about the Old Testament law. We usually think about 10 commandments, don't we? 10 commandments. In reality, there were 613 commandments in the law of Moses. And by the way, before everybody leaves today, we're going to have a test on all 613 of them. Jesus was asked one day what he thought the the commandments were. And he took all of those 613 and he just threw them in a big bucket. He circled them, squirreled them up, ground them up and poured them into just two glasses. Love God and love people. Can you imagine that? 613 laws, and Jesus just reduces them down to love God and love people. Folks, that's what we're about. Nothing else we do even compares to whether or not we love other people. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be loved by you. And no matter where we've been, what we've done, what we've come through, you love us. And there's no possible way for you to love us less. And there's no possible way that you could love us more. You love us right now the most that anybody could possibly love anybody. And you said, all right, you see what I'm doing? We said, yeah. We said, well, that's what I want you to do with other people. 
Love people. Love people. Lord, help us to love people the way you did. Let the characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians 13 describe the love we have. In Jesus' name, amen.